question, so I'm going to ask you one. Okay. Who wrote that last song we sang? I want to sing it again? Yeah. It's probably Gator. Oh, no. No? Oh, no. no who was it? It's Pam Roush. Pam Roush used to come to our church years ago, and she wrote yeah, that song. I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah, that's one that she wrote. Yeah, she left, and she left the song with us, and so we've been singing it ever since. <laughs> she was. She she wrote a number of songs. Yeah, that's right. Well, good to see you all tonight, and good to have you out. And we're in our study here in Second Timothy chapter three. We're finishing out chapter three tonight. And let's pray, and then we'll get into our study. Lord, again, we thank you for your amazing grace. Thank you that we can sing your praises. We have a new song. Uh, Lord, the world sings the old, old songs, kind of about self and, you know, whatever they're going through. But, Lord, we're singing your praises. Uh, we thank you for the fact that we are new creations in Christ Jesus, and we have much to sing about. We're going to be singing your praises throughout eternity. Can't imagine what uh, the golden streets of the golden city are going to be like and what it is to live in your intimate presence, but the best is yet to be. Lord, uh, in the meantime, we have work to do here, and I pray that you would encourage us through the word as we uh, spend time in it tonight. Be with all the other ministries, Awana Youth Group. Thank you for those that lead. Thank you for all those involved. Pray that you would bless the, the word as it goes forth tonight. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, we are in 2 Timothy, and uh, you will note the theme is loyalty, a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Paul's writing as an old man. He's writing to his son Timothy, as he calls him. And uh, we're into chapter 3, finishing out here, charge of, uh, to biblical separation and continuing on in the word. <clears throat> we'll see that emphasis tonight the, to uh, exhorting Timothy to continue on uh, in the word. The uh, emphasis in chapter 3 and chapter 4, I mean, if you had to uh, say, okay, I have one, one letter I'm going to write, my final letter, what would you write? Well, Paul, in his final letter, made a tremendous emphasis on the Word of God and being faithful to the Word, not compromising the Word. He writes in chapter 3 at the beginning of the chapter, in the last days perilous times will come. They will be days of apostasy, uh, days of false teachers on the scene. Boy, false teachers are everywhere today. And, and you combine false teachers with a huge amount of professing Christians who don't know very much about the Bible. And you know what you have? You have a formula for disaster because you have no way of discerning if you don't know the word. You say, well, uh, you know, somebody was talking uh, to my wife the other day and says, well, the most important thing is that you're in a good Bible teaching church thinking she is. The only problem is we know the church she goes to and it's not a good Bible teaching church. They don't even have the gospel straight. But she thinks it's a good Bible teaching church. Uh, boy, talk about lack of discernment. Uh, that's what we have in the last days. Well, in contrast to false teachers who lead astray is the example of the Apostle Paul. And uh, note, <clears throat> we uh, have his example brought out there in chapter 3. And in this context, uh, as, as really a model for the faith, Paul talks about everything he endured, everything he went through, and yet he kept on keeping on as far as the faith uh, note there in verses 12 and 13, he says, after he explains what persecutions he has endured, he says, verse 12, yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Paul says, this isn't just something I'm going through. If you're going to live godly, you should expect you too are going to be persecuted. And he's, of course, directing this straight at Timothy and making application 
uh, for everybody. But then notice what he says on the heels of that, verse 13, where we left off last week. But evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. I think for the godly who refuse to compromise, a lot of persecution comes from the ungodly, uh, from the imposters, for, from deceivers. Uh, they make life miserable uh, for the true people of God. It's interesting how he kind of puts those uh, thoughts together that the godly will suffer persecution. Evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse. That's the whole uh, theme here. Uh, in the last days there will be apostasy. Okay. Well, that brings us to where we are in our study. Let's uh, have somebody read verse 14. Uh, just verse 14. Uh, who, who wants to read that? Verse 14. Yes, Dave. <clears throat> Okay, thank you. Uh, note, um, he just got done talking, as I say, about these imposters who will grow worse and worse. But you, Timothy, uh, but a contrast word, contrast to these imposters who grow worse and worse. He says, you must continue in the things which you have learned. You uh, have to be proactive. You have to take a stand here and, and realize the danger. You can't be lackadaisical here. You can't be negligent. Uh, you must continue. Uh, you must keep on keeping on. And there's always danger, right? <clears throat> can you get off track as a believer? I'm afraid you can. Uh, note Peter, last letter he writes, uh, as also in all his epistles speaking uh, them of these things in which some are, things are hard to understand. Boy, you know, as I'm uh, studying Romans, it's like, yeah, yeah, that was Paul, all right. Uh, which, but then he says, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction as they do the rest of the scriptures. But then he says, you therefore, beloved, these are fellow believers, since you know this beforehand, beware lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked. So, I mean, there's no need for that admonition and, and warning if there's no chance that you can get off track. You certainly can to a point. I don't think a believer is going to fully apostatize, but you can certainly get off track and be led astray. As, as Peter says there. Um, Gazik. Yeah, David Gazik. Uh, Timothy had known the word of God from, the earliest, uh, from his earliest years, yet, yet see how strong the exhortation is from Paul that he continue in them. Nothing is assumed. The furthest thing from Paul's mind is an attitude that says, well, of course, we are all founded on the Bible, and we can assume that the move uh, on uh, to other things, uh, assume that and move on to other things. For Paul, this was never assumed, not even with his trusted protege. So, uh, yeah, even with Timothy, and he, boy, he had glowing things to say about Timothy. He knew of Timothy's commitment, and yet he's saying, be careful, continue on, don't get off track. That's, it's good for all of us. Anybody can get off track. You know, uh, David, a man after God's own heart, how could he get so far off track that, you know, he fell into the terrible sin that he did, even to the, uh, the gross point of even having a man murdered uh, to cover up his sin. I mean, it, it did happen. Uh, continue in the things which you have learned. You know, uh, he's saying, you know, Timothy, uh, I want you to get a whole bunch of new knowledge. Uh, no. He said, I just want you to continue in what you've already learned. Uh, he's not talking about new things. He's saying, be consistent with the truth you already know. Uh, that's what you need to do. By the way, this is what uh, elders uh, as far as uh, talking about elders here, they must be men that are holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught. 
This assumes uh, elders are those that have been taught. And then they are holding fast to it, that he may be able to, uh, by sound doctrine, both to exhort and convince those who contradict. So he's really laying out uh, what's necessary for elders there in that verse. But it brings out the point, uh, they too had been taught. Everybody needs to be taught. Uh, you start there. And then you need to hold it fast. And that's what he's exhorting Timothy here as well. Uh, continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of knowing from whom you have learned them. Isn't that interesting? He's saying, uh, you know, you know these, these things are true because from whom you learned them from. Uh, character matters. Uh, a proven track record matters. Remember he said earlier in this chapter, uh, verse 10 there, chapter 3, verse 10, but you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions. He's saying, Timothy, you know me. You know my character. You know my proven track record. You know it in and out. And he's reminding him of these things. I think he also has somebody else in mind, though, uh, having been assured, knowing from whom, whom is plural, who else did he learn from? Well, for sure. <laughs> I mean, that just trumped everything, Albert. I'm thinking about human, human, humans here. Yes. Yeah. He goes on to talk about from a childhood, uh, you've known these things. I mean, he had a, a tremendous uh, heritage as far as a Christian uh, background. Really not so much Christian because, I mean, the gospel came to them, but uh, Old Testament believers who transitioned to the New Testament, uh, a godly uh, heritage. So, uh, yeah, he also had a godly mother and grandmother, knowing from whom you have learned them. Certainly Paul is involved here, I think that's true, but uh, also perhaps his, his mother and his grandmother. Well, uh, there is power in the word, but there's also power in uh, a messenger who is living a consistent life. And that's really what I think is being emphasized here as well. Uh, in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7, the writer says, Remember those who rule over you. These are the, the leaders in the church who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow. They have a faith worth following, uh, considering the outcome of their, their conduct. So, uh, you know, again, uh, these are leaders who are uh, leading in terms of not only just sharing the word, but by example in, in their walk. Uh, Hebert says... The content of the teaching received is very important, but so also is the character of the teacher. Uh, you know, that goes together, and he's emphasizing uh, that here. Uh, having been assured, knowing from whom you have learned them, uh, that matters. As I say down here, uh, teaching by example as seen in our character is really a very important aspect of teaching. No matter how sound our doctrine, if our life is not consistent, it undermines the credibility of everything. We have known some really good teachers who had powerful things to say. Remember Ravi Zacharias? I mean, the guy was unbelievable as far as a lot of the stuff he put out. I mean, boy, he's followed over throughout the whole. We found out the guy's living a total double life. Boy, guess what happened to that ministry? It all went away, lost all credibility. Uh, it's very important that both be in place. Uh, we have qualifications for elders in 1 Timothy chapter 3. How many qualifications do we have? Just a little test. We've been, been a while since we taught through First. There you go. That's exactly right. There's 15 qualifications that are mentioned there. 14 of them have to do with character. One of them has to do with ability. 
has to be able to teach. Now, that's some ability. But the other 14 are character-oriented. Uh, I always say, boy, put the emphasis on uh, character. We sometimes put the emphasis, oh, it's got to be able to teach. Okay, a lot of guys fairly charismatic. They got the gift of gab or whatever. What's your character? What's a character? Uh, he's really emphasizing, you know whom, uh, from whom you have learned them. You, you know their, their character. Very important. I think uh, two examples here, one from uh, a believer and one from uh, unbelievers. But here in, uh, remember, Second uh, Samuel, uh, where David fell into sin, as I mentioned, God says, however, because by this deed you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. Boy, what a terrible situation. You have given great occasion to the enemies of God to blaspheme, which David did. And he says, because of this, the child uh, who is born to you shall surely die. Part of the consequences. Uh, here in relationship to uh, phony false teachers, uh, there were false prophets prophets among the people, there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them, and bring on themselves swift destruction. Many will follow their destructive ways. Boy, they get a following, these false teachers. Many will follow, and because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. Again, note, it, it will come out eventually that they are charlatans, and, and the way of truth, oh yeah, that's the way all these Christians are. Look at these Christian leaders. Look, it's all about this or it's all about that. And the way of truth is blasphemed because of So it's so important that uh, not only we teach the right thing, but we live accordingly. We live the truth as well as teach the truth. Okay, any thoughts there before we go on to uh, verse 15? Yes. Yes. Yes, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> that's great. That's right. Yeah, well, we have all kinds of traits as far as the false teachers. Earlier in the chapter, we went through point by point as far as what's described. Was there 19 of them? Okay, you wrote it down. Okay, so uh, yeah, so that's in the mix here too. Okay, uh, let's have somebody read verse 15. Marianne, you want to read that? Okay, thank you. We are going to break up verses uh, 15 and then 16 and 17, but really they go together. Uh, I consider this to be one of the most important texts in the New Testament, and I'll tell you why, in terms of uh, the all-sufficiency of Scripture. I'm a real champion of the all-sufficiency of Scripture. Everything we need to know spiritually is found in the Bible. Uh, if you want to learn how to build a jet plane, uh, and, and uh, Alaska Air needs a little help right now, so... Maybe you can help there. But uh, it won't teach you that, right? But as far as spiritual truth, as far as what we need to know for salvation and living for God, sanctification, it's all in the Bible. You don't look outside for, for something else. And that's what the emphasis here is, is the sufficiency of Scripture. Uh, and really what I call the all-sufficiency of Scripture. Not just sufficient, but all-sufficient in every way. Um, Everything we need uh, pertaining to uh, life and practice uh, is found here in the Bible. We don't need an integration of anything else. Let's see here. Many of the younger generation want to add po uh, politics or social justice. You don't have to just say uh, the younger generation. There's some in the older generation here, too, or social justice to the message. The gospel message itself does not move them. They demand more. Uh, they don't just want doctrine. They clamor for what ministers to them where, where they live. 
just plain Bible teaching is not adequate. Uh, so many want to claim extra biblical revelation in terms of visions or some other form of God told me revelation, which in reality amounts to a denial of the all-sufficiency of Scripture. Uh, you know, the Bible's not enough. I need a fresh revelation. I need a fresh word from God. This stale old Bible here, that just doesn't move me much. Uh, Others put great stock in human wisdom in terms of sophisticated arguments or philosophy that they think will convince people to be believers instead of just relying on the power of God's word. So there's a, a lot of avenues where this is really um, attacked as far as uh, the all-sufficiency of Scripture. Uh, I think many people claim to believe in the Scripture but don't really have a high view of Scripture, which is what we need to have. Um, let see what I got here. Paul in 2 Timothy 3, 15 through 17 lays out to Timothy the power of the all-sufficient word. Paul's philosophy of ministry was pretty simple. It could be summarized in what he goes on to say in chapter 4 when he says to Timothy, preach the word. But here in 3, 15 through 17, he tells us the why, the reasoning behind this simple philosophy of ministry. So, okay, what's the big idea about simply just preaching the word? Well, it's adequate. It's all sufficient. It's everything God's people need to know. And uh, that's what he's bringing out here. Uh, okay. From childhood, you have known the Holy Scriptures. Really, the word childhood is more literally infancy. I mean, they started reading the Scripture to Timothy since he was an infant, evidently. I mean, he was brought up from his youngest days uh, being taught the Scriptures. Um, again, a godly mother, a godly grandmother. Normally, Jewish uh, boys would formally start being taught the word when they were five years old. It's almost like Paul's belaboring the point, like even from your youngest days, Timothy, this has been uh, built into you. From childhood, you have known the Holy Scriptures. He knew the Scriptures. Uh, holy means sacred, the sacred Scriptures. And really, he's talking about the Old Testament scriptures. Why do I say that at this point? There, there was no New Testament when Timothy was a baby, right? No, all they had was the Old Testament scriptures. And so he's saying, uh, you have known the Holy Scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures, uh, since you were uh, uh, a baby. And then he says, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Uh, the, the Old Testament scriptures are able to prepare the way for faith in Christ. They're able to bring you to faith in Christ. You say, well, if we have the New Testament, we can't win, uh, unless we have the New Testament, we can't win people to Christ. No, that's not true. Uh, the early church for many years, as the New Testament was being formulated, as the apostles were giving it out, they were preaching the Old Testament, bringing people to Christ. I mean, that's what happened on even the day of Pentecost. Peter got up and preached, preached really out of the Old Testament. Um, See what I have here. Verses like this, uh, Isaiah 53, 6, All we like sheep have gone astray, turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Of course, this is a key chapter, Isaiah 53, uh, to, witnessing to Jewish people. We like to go to Isaiah 53. As Peter is um, bringing the gospel to the Gentiles, it's interesting where he goes in sharing with even Gentiles. He says, To him all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. But notice he says, to, all, to him all the prophets witness. He's really referring to the Old Testament prophets. Uh, there was a witness to Christ back there in, in all the prophets, he says. And uh, note, he says, these holy scriptures are able to make you wise for salvation. 
They're able to show you what you need to know in order to be saved. There's some things you have to know in order to be saved. What is the shorthand that Paul uses for this, uh, uh, describing what people need to know in order to be saved? The knowledge of the truth. The knowledge of the truth. God desires it all uh, be uh, saved. It all come to the knowledge of the truth and be saved. So, um, yeah, that's really what he's talking about here. Uh, we need to know uh, the gospel. We need to know about Jesus Christ. Uh, even in the Old Testament, Psalm 19:7, the word is perfect. It uh, converts the soul. It's able to make wise the simple. Uh, we know, where would you go to uh, share, uh, emphasize that, that it's by believing the gospel that we're saved? Where, where would we go in the New Testament for that? Well, Romans would be good. We could go lots of places. But you know, when you're thinking about uh, the gospel spelled out, we a lot of times go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, right? He says, he's declaring to them the gospel, and he says, I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received. What is it? Well, that Christ died for our sins according to what? According to the scriptures. What scriptures? Old Testament scriptures. Exactly. He's the you have the prophecy in the Old Testament. You have the fulfillment in Christ. Uh, he was buried. He rose again the third day according to the scriptures. So he's saying this is all according to the scriptures, this gospel that he is preaching. And so that's what he's saying here. Uh, the Holy Scripture is able to make you wise. Uh, the gospel's there in the Old Testament scriptures, able to make you wise, what you need to know for salvation. And then he says, through faith, which is in Christ Jesus, we must believe and the object of our faith must be Jesus Christ. Really, I love this verse because it's, it very clearly makes the ultimate issue in just a few concise, clear words here. Uh, wise for salvation. How? What, what do you need to know for salvation? Well, faith. Uh, through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Uh, it's a matter of believing. How does that happen, by the way? How do people come to faith? <laughs> Andrew, throw, throw, throw all the theological books away now. Let's keep this real simple. And we're, really where I'm going with this is the theme that we're talking about here. First uh, Peter 1.23, having been born again, not a corruptible seed, but of incorruptible. How does that happen? Through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. What does he say here? Uh, the Holy Scriptures, you've known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. How does this happen? Through the word of God. Uh, Romans 10 17, faith comes by hearing. Hearing what? Hearing the word of God. Uh, people need to hear the word, the knowledge of the truth, the word of God, and then they need to believe it. Uh, they need to put their faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, note, uh, only faith is mentioned here. Uh, nothing else, right? You see anything else? You see another sacrament in, in kind of dovetailed in here, kind of hidden in, the, in between the words or something? Uh, no. Uh, no mention of baptism, no mention of anything else. Only faith. Uh, wise for salvation. What do you need to know in order to be saved? You need to know about Jesus and so you can put your faith in him. Through faith, which is in great. The only thing that's mentioned is faith here. It's the only thing. Uh, William MacDonald we should mark this well. It is not through good works, baptism, church membership, confirmation, obeying the Ten Commandments, keeping the golden rule, or any other way that involves human effort or merit. Salvation is through faith in the Son of God. There you go. Uh, William MacDonald. It's all about faith there. Uh, okay, just a few things here. 
I could get off here to preach in a bit, but uh, David Gazik, this is something each generation must acquire for itself and then hold on to. The appreciation for the wisdom of the Bible and a deliberate forsaking of any human wisdom that opposes or replaces what the Bible teaches. It comes back to the Bible, uh, and the Bible is sufficient. What we need to know for salvation, it's all in the Bible. And I tell you, I get called into all kinds of situations. Uh, And uh, just yesterday, uh, they called me. A guy's dying. I go, well, he's a saved guy. But I don't think anybody else in the family is saved. Well, you know, I'm, I'm really not thinking about him so much. He's already on the way, right? He's going to, I do want to minister to him too. But I'm really thinking about the lost here. They need to hear the word. So I was sharing in that vein. Um, the word of God is living and powerful, but it is a spirit that does the internal work in the heart. He makes it come alive in the heart of a person, bringing them to faith. I call the Holy Spirit the glory connector. Uh, you heard anybody else? I'm, I think I coined that phrase. <laughs> Seriously. I've never heard anybody else use that phrase. I should. I should. Uh, the, the glory connector. He shines the light of the gospel in the hearts of people, and thus he enables us to see the glory of Christ, which is the very nature of true saving faith. And uh, let me build on this just a little bit. You know, this is one of my favorite texts here out of 2 Corinthians. It's clearly talking about the gospel. If our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are prepared. They don't see it. Uh, Whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe. There's their problem. They, They don't see because they don't believe. Lest the light of the gospel, that's what we're talking about. The light of the gospel. Of what? Of the glory of Christ who is the image of God, the very representative of God, should shine on them. They need to see this. They need to see who Christ is as as God, as the one who perfectly represents God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For it is God who commanded light to shine out of darkness. When did he do that? Well, he did it early in the Bible. Genesis 1-3, what did he say? Let there be light. And there was light. This God, who commanded light to shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts. What? To give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. Where do we find it? In the face, in the person of Jesus Christ. We see the glory of God in in Jesus Christ. We have seen it. God, who commanded light to shine, has shone in our hearts. Wow, we have come to see the truth by the Holy Spirit working in this way. I love this quote from John Piper, and I don't agree with all Piper's theology, but I love this quote. Uh, The unbeliever knows the facts of the gospel, perhaps, but he does not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. The Christ of the gospel does not shine in the eyes of the unbeliever's heart. The unbeliever does not see the glory of Christ as divine beauty and thus as his supreme treasure. When the gospel is preached or the scriptures are read, he sees the facts, but not the glory. Boy, that is so true. It is God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our heart. That is a miracle. You know, it's a miracle when God said, let there be light. And it's a miracle when the Holy Spirit works in somebody's heart and helps them to see. We can't do that. We preach the gospel, and the Holy Spirit takes that gospel, and he shines the light into their heart and helps them to see miraculously what they would not see otherwise. Uh, you have known the Holy Scriptures. They're able to do this. 
They're able to make you wise, help you to see what you need to see in order to be saved, uh, which is through faith in Christ Jesus. All right, um, note that last uh, phrase there, uh, through faith which is in Christ Jesus. What does it mean that we uh, believe in uh, that he is the Christ? We believe in Jesus as the Christ. You understand what that means, right? I mean, it's very important because if you don't believe that, you're, you're not saved. Uh, you know, it's interesting. That word Christ is an Old Testament word. It's Messiah in the, in the Hebrew. It's Christ in the Greek. Uh, it means anointed one. Uh, in the Old Testament, uh, a special chosen one was anointed. So you could call him the, the chosen one. Uh, chosen for what? Well, this would be the special chosen one who would come as the ruler of God's people, the deliverer of God's people. And the word Christ, as it's developed in the New Testament, is linked with the deity of Christ very consistently. Let me show you. Here in uh, Matthew 16, 16, Peter's, uh, Jesus said, who do uh, you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Christ. Well, who, what does he mean by that? The son of the living God. He further qualifies it. Christ is very much linked with son of God, uh, the one who is of the order of God. Uh, in other words, God. Uh, he's the Christ, the special one who would be God come in the flesh. In John 20, 31, these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. Further qualified, the Son of God. Same thing Peter said, believing you may have life in his name. So uh, through faith in Christ, the special chosen one who would be the God-man, uh, come in the flesh, who comes to deliver us. And of course, Jesus means uh, Savior, really God-Savior. Uh, that's who he is. Okay, uh, let's have somebody read verse, uh, I guess I should allow for input. Anybody have anything to say? Okay. All right. Let's have somebody read 16 and 17. They go together. Who wants to read that? Yeah, Matt. Boy, that's good stuff. Amen. Amen. Uh, he's continuing on here. Uh, remember, he's saying, I want you to continue. And he's really making emphasis on the scripture. Uh, the power of the Scripture to save. Uh, don't, don't get away from the Scripture. And then he says, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Notice he didn't say some. All of it. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Now, um, of course, he has the Old Testament uh, in view. And we've already talked about that as he's talking about the, since childhood, you've known the Holy Scriptures. Uh, and so when he's talking about Scripture, he's certainly talking about the Old Testament. But we also know that Additional scripture was now being given. New Testament scripture was now being given uh, through the apostles. And uh, Peter referred to Paul's writings as scripture in, in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and so forth. So it really is, uh, would apply to all scripture. Whatever is scripture uh, is given by inspiration of God. Uh, inspiration literally means God breathed. It came out from God and God breathed it out through human instruments. He used human instruments but it really has its source in God. It's God-breathed. Uh, let me note a few overheads here. <clears throat> Biblical scholars speak of the inspiration of Scripture in terms of both plenary and verbal. Plenary means full, and verbal means the very words. The Bible is fully inspired, including every single word. Jesus said, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law to all is fulfilled. Uh, the jot and the tittle were the smallest little markings in the Hebrew uh, alphabet. 
Uh, again, in John 10, 35, he said the scripture cannot be broken. So uh, it is uh, fully and uh, right to the very words inspired. And then uh, note what we have at the end of the book. I mean, right, right at the very end of the book of Revelation. I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. If anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life and from the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. You know what this is saying to us? Don't mess with the word. Uh, you don't add to it. You don't take away from it. Well, somebody says, well, you know, uh, this uh, is, uh, applies to uh, the book of Revelation. Well, it certainly does. Uh, but I would uh, submit to you that uh, what applies to the inspired book of Revelation applies to all Scripture that is inspired. Uh, the nature of it is the same everywhere. So note what I say. Certainly this applies directly to the book of Revelation, but we must understand that the book of Revelation ties the whole of Scripture together and brings it all to a grand consummation. Of the 404 verses in Revelation, 278 of them either refer directly or allude to Old Testament Scriptures. Therefore, Revelation is a tying of the whole of Scripture together in a unit of one. What applies to the inspired book of Revelation certainly applies to the whole in, uh, of inspired Scripture. And really, uh, you know, it's the capstone of, of the whole of Scripture. I mean, everything builds, and then Revelation kind of ties the whole thing together in terms of glorious consummation. And so that's uh, where we are there. Uh, well, we want to say a couple of things. The original autographs were inspired. Uh, you say, well, what about the copies? Well, I believe that God faithfully guarded the transmission of those, but there, there were mistakes made in the copying of the, of the manuscripts. Uh, there was a few, a few mistakes that were made. Uh, people, sometimes King James-only people want to act like the King James Bible is inspired. And I say, so you believe in adultery? Because you do understand uh, one of the early copies of the King James, they, they miscopied and they had in the Old Testament, thou shalt commit adultery. They left out the word not. So I say, so you do believe that it is, uh, you know, we should commit adultery. I, I'm being funny. They, they look at me like, what are you talking about? Uh, I mean, that's such a foolish position. Um, <clears throat> this, uh, the emphasis and in inspiration is on the scriptures themselves. The human instruments God used were fallible, but the scriptures given by inspiration are not. As given in the original autographs, they were completely without error, uh, also known as inerrant. Completely without error, as originally given uh, in the autographs. All the scriptures were copied and transmitted. As the scriptures were copied and transmitted, there were a few mistakes made along the way. But as the thousands of manuscripts that we have are compared, it is shown that a high percentage of the text, around 99%, is shown to be consistent with the original text. And where there is a discrepancy, say in the case of a misspelled word, there is no doctrinal issue at stake. God has sovereignly superintended the transmission of the text so that we clearly have a reliable Bible in our hands today. Uh, I like this quote from Robert Gramacki. He says, The original text of the Scripture can be rendered as 99% certain. Scholars are sure that they know what the biblical authors wrote. In the other 1%, they have a choice between two viable options. They know that the proper reading is either this or that. In this small percentage of passages, no doctrinal concept is at stake. So, you know, we don't have any question about doctrine here whatsoever. Uh, okay, a misspelled word here or here does not change uh, any doctrine. 
You know, say, well, some of the manuscript families teach a God, Jesus is God, and some of them don't. That's not true. It's not true at all. So anyway, uh, okay, um, where do we want to go here? Back? What do you want to see back, Marianne? You want this? Okay. We're going to give special privilege here. <laughs> you got it? Okay. <laughs> There's Gramacki. Um, <clears throat> this implies a process where God, uh, okay, that's on to Stephen Cole. So let's go on to Stephen Cole here. <clears throat> yeah, um, it's profitable. It's all given by inspiration of God and is profitable. Uh, profitable means useful. And what's it profitable for? Well, doctrine. Doctrine is teaching, uh, teaching us the things of God that we need to know in order to be saved, in order for Christian living, uh, and for reproof. Aren't you thankful for this word, reproof? Uh, it is translated convict in John 16, 8. You know the Bible's convicting. You, you, you know that, right? Sometimes we need a good, we need a good kick. We need, we need some conviction. And it's able to do that. It's able to expose error when we're off track, bring us back. So the idea of reproof is refuting error. It shows where we're wrong, and it rebukes us. And then for correction. Correction is more of a restoration word. Uh, reproof is like uh, showing you your error, and uh, correction is like restoring you, bringing you back in line where you need to be. That's the idea. For instruction in righteousness, uh, this is literally child-rearing, uh, child-training. It's able to school you uh, like a child is schooled, and this is where Stephen Cole comes in. Uh, this implies a process where God teaches us how to deal with all of life, just as parents work with their children over the years to train them in various social graces, morals, relational skills, and useful habits. So God, through his word, trains us in all areas of life so that we can know what pleases him. So the Bible is it's profitable for schooling us in terms of being the children of God that, that, that he wants us to be. And to what end? Well, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Uh, Paul refers to Timothy as a man of God in 1 Timothy 6.11, and here again, uh, that the man of God may be complete, that is, fully prepared, uh, fully equipped, as he goes on to say, uh, this is the idea of, of adequate, fitted for use. Uh, thoroughly equipped is fully enabled, sufficient for what? For every good work. For every good work. Again, it's, it's uh, all sufficient. Uh, here we have the doctrine of the all-sufficiency of Scripture. It's able to show us what we need to know in order to be saved, verse 15. And then it's profitable to fully equip us for all that God wants us to do in service, 16 and 17. Thus, the Bible is able to fully equip us for everything we are called to do. Uh, it is lacking nothing for, in terms of salvation, in terms of service. It, it's, it's totally sufficient. It's all sufficient. We need to champion that. I mean, it's one of the last things that Paul tells Timothy. Continue in this. You don't, don't get away from the Bible. It's all about the Bible. That's what you need to emphasize, Timothy. Uh, okay. Um, let's see. Amazingly, the man of God does not need to take his cue from the business world. I know that's hard to believe. Uh, from marketing techniques, we need to market the church, right? I mean, let's, uh, who's in charge of banners this week? Eh, just kidding. Uh, from uh, psychobabblers, from higher education, or any other source. 
The Word of God is his all. It is all sufficient for all he needs. It's able to fully equip him for every good work. There is no deficiency. No deficiency in, in the Word here. Uh, this is from uh, Robert Chapman. And... Uh, there's a kind of a two-part slide here. This book contains the mind of God, the state of man, the way of salvation, the doom of sinners, the happiness of believers. Its doctrines are holy, its precepts are binding, its histories are true, and its decisions are immutable. Read it to be wise, believe it to be safe, and practice it to be holy. It contains light to direct you, food to support you, and comfort and cheer you. It is the traveler's map, the pilgrim's staff, the pilot's compass, the soldier's sword, and the Christian's character. And he continues... Uh, here paradise is restored, heaven opened, and the gates of hell disclosed. Christ is its grand object, our good its design, and the glory of God its end. It should fill the memory, rule the heart, guide the feet, read it slowly, frequently, and prayerfully. It is given you in life, will be opened in the judgment, and will be remembered forever. It involves the highest responsibility, will reward the greatest labor, and will condemn all who trifle with its sacred contents." Someone as well said, the Bible, nothing more, nothing less, and nothing else. Well said. All right, any other thoughts as we uh, finish up our study here tonight? Yes, Andrew. Uh, two points. Yes. Amen. Um, the second thing I was thinking about when you were talking about the autographs and, and how God has preserved his word. Mm -hmm. You know, we talk a lot in scripture. We're not saved by evidences, but I think the Bible in and of itself is one of the greatest evidences of for divine inspiration. Amen. Amen. Oh, incomparable. Like we talked about um, Israel and how they are still here, and that's evidence of God. Mm -hmm. The Bible is, is right there with them. Well, amen. Um, very clear evidence that there is divinity behind this. Yeah, well, amen to that. I really think the ultimate, the greatest evidence is the Bible itself. The internal evidence is stronger than anything else. And, and then you combine that with the Holy Spirit. It rings true to our hearts, our souls. It brings conviction. The Holy Spirit is the living God who does work conviction. So, yeah, amen. Very good. Yes? There is a ton of external evidence that supports what you just read about. Sure. It doesn't stand, it doesn't stand if you had no other evidence supporting it, like the Koran or whatever. The Bible has a ton of it. Oh, sure. Archaeologists use it as a guidebook. Right. Absolutely. And, and which would make sense if this is all true. Correct. <laughs> yeah. It only right. makes sense because it is true. Right. That's right. Amen. Well, that's for sure. Uh, there's all kinds of archaeological evidence, uh, apologetical evidence, all kinds of things. Uh, 
Definitely. As far as the mind, that's absolutely true. Yep. All right. Anyone else? Okay. Very good. Let's uh, share some prayer items. Anybody need a